Welcome back to another episode of Transform Your Workplace. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Today's episode is sponsored by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. Well, I'm excited to share this episode with you. Sorry it's a day late. It's with Mick Spears. We're talking about his book, You're a Leader Now, Now What? And quite frankly, I could never get tired of talking about this subject of moving contributor level people to a manager, supervisor, or leadership level role. Too often, we're not spending the adequate time of preparing these new leaders for their roles. They don't oftentimes even know what they're getting into. So my key takeaways from this episode, and there are a ton more, is that we need more emphasis on leader preparation instead of placing contributors into leadership roles without the adequate development. So that's number one. Number two, when it comes to leadership, it doesn't matter what you know, but rather how much you care about your people. And this comes through loud and clear in this episode. Mick believes it. I believe it. We've got to care about our people. We're trying to unlock the best version of our people as possible. That is what leadership's all about, is helping people grow, mentor them, and help them do big things. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Mick Spears. Reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places. I love connecting with listeners. And thanks for those of you who are so kind with the words and reach out. I love to be able to chat with you and know how you're liking the show and what topics are important. And make sure to connect with Mick as well. He's on several social media channels and make sure to go check out his book as well. Enjoy today's episode and I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Mick, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Brendan. Excited to be here and looking forward to our discussion. So what typically happens when somebody's really good at their job is they often get a promotion to a leadership role to make more money. And that's just tends to be the next step. But I'm curious, you know, in all the time that you've worked with leaders over the years, and you've gone through this yourself, are people typically ready from moving to contributor to leadership role? Yeah, I'm going to say a definite no. <laughs> and it's, and I'm also going to say it's not their fault. I, I don't believe that we're putting enough emphasis into that preparation stage. So you, you're 100% right, Brandon, if I can paint a picture for you. It's usually a complete roller coaster of emotions. Like, and you said that they're typically really good at their job. They might be a great digital marketer, great software engineer, great nurse, whatever their profession is. And they get tapped on the shoulder and gets told, Congratulations, you're a leader now. And they go through this roller coaster of the euphoric highs that they've finally been recognized for all of their skill and prowess. And they're so proud and they tell everyone that will listen and probably some that won't listen about their promotion. And then comes the thud of anxiety when they realize that no one has actually taken the time to show them what it means to be a leader. And it's unfair. The ones that can work it out and navigate those tricky waters quickly make it and others start questioning themselves. They develop imposter syndrome. They start wondering whether leadership is even for them. So yes, it's a major problem and no, they're generally not ready. 
What are typically the issues when it comes to that transition? They just don't understand the responsibility of what it means to be a leader. Is there a skills gap? Is it, is it all of the above? I'm curious what's missing for them to make it to that next level. I'm going to say that the first thing is the mindset shift. It's not the only thing, but it's the first thing is the mindset shift is to quickly realize that what got them to where they are now is not going to serve them well in their next role. So what will typically happen is they haven't made that shift. They think that, okay, so I got here because I'm good at my job, so I need to be continuing to do my job. And you see many of them reaching back and and you can call it reaching back to their comfort zone. You can call it whatever you like. They reach back and still do large chunks of their own job in a very hands-on role instead of realizing that no, actually their job now is to create an amazing environment where their team can nurture and to give their team the opportunities to knock it out of the park. So I'm going to say the first thing is that mindset shift. Then beyond that, it is the the knowledge and the skills. So no one has actually sat down and spoken to them about that, right? So now your job is to create an amazing environment, to give people purpose and meaning, to let them have their voice and to listen and respect their opinions and to treat them like they matter. So no one sits down and says that leadership is more about how you relate to other people. It's doesn't matter what you know anymore. It's more about how much you care about those people. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, one of the shifts that I think is the hardest, I mean, I gone through, I'm sure you've gone through it, Mick, where as a contributor, it was all about you and your contributions. I get to be the hero. Look what I did versus you become a leader. And it's about bringing out the best in the people that, you know, follow you. And I think that's a struggle for a lot of people is making that shift. What do you think? Absolutely. So you go from the superstar mentality, you might be the golden boy or the golden girl of the team where everyone applauds when you do something amazing and you knock it out of the park to now it's actually more about nurturing and providing that opportunity to the next people coming through to you. And it takes a long time, but if I can share this little bit right now with your audience, this takes time to learn, but let me share with you that eventually you get to the point where you realize that there is more joy and fulfillment in doing that, in providing that environment where someone else that you have coached, that you have led, then stands up on a virtual stage, whatever the case may be, and knocks it out of the park, you get this immense joy and fulfillment and this pride when you've done that. But it takes a while to make that transition in your mind because previously it was all about you and now it's no longer about you anymore. When new leaders have the opportunity to move into this leadership role, whether or not they decide to take it, is there any sort of self-reflection type questions that you encourage people to ask themselves and to determine if it's really for them or not? Oh, yeah, good question. And we haven't mentioned my book at this point, so I'll bring it up now. So in my newly released book, You're a Leader Now What? That's one of the questions you need to do. You need to test whether leadership is for you whether you do have the mindset, whether you're ready to serve those that are in your team. And it means you need to test your motivations. If you're taking that leadership role just for the paycheck, then that's not a good signal. If you're taking it for fame and fortune because you want to be uh, put up on some kind of pedestal and uh, you know be this amazing leader who, like for, I'm going to call it narcissistic reasons, getting the applaud and all that kind of stuff, that's the wrong reason. 
But if you're doing it because you believe in people and that you want to help other people to unlock their best version of themselves, then you're in it for the right reason. So that would be the first one. But then you also need to kick into a learning mindset. And I'm really glad that you brought up the topic of self-reflection because that is one thing that I teach and I've been doing it myself for now 14 years and that is the the practice of daily self-reflection. And I ask myself the same five questions even now today, 30 years into my leadership career. What went well today? What didn't go well today? What would I do differently next time if I had my time over again? What did I learn about myself today? And what did I learn about others? And by that, you're continually learning as a leader. So if you're going into leadership for the right reasons and you've got a learning mindset and you deeply care about people, then leadership is for you. If you're doing it for other reasons, stop and think because there might be better ways for you to get that fame, fortune and paycheck that you're after that doesn't involve becoming a horrible boss or like I said, doing leadership for the wrong reasons. When people are presented with an opportunity to become a leader, what sort of range of reactions or responses do you hear? Like, oh, I need to, I'm not ready. Like I need skills. Like I imagine it runs the gamut of responses. Is there a typical response that people come up with? Yeah. So I'm going to say it's that roller coaster. So the usual response, the initial one is usually quite joyous. It usually starts with some kind of validation that, oh, wow, someone's finally seen what I bring to the table. But that progressively changes leading up to either taking on the role or within the first few weeks of the role when they realize that actually no one has shown me what it means to be a leader and they start questioning themselves. Imposter syndrome starts uh, kicking in. Why would anyone follow me? Because they haven't made a mindset shift around this. So I would say for most people it starts with a euphoric high, but it soon uh, unravels and starts getting to that point of questioning you, yourself. And then in the absence of someone showing you what to do, then when you get into what I call the deluge of firsts, you get into the very first time that you have to give some kind of constructive feedback to a person. And that is hard. That's hard work. That's one of the hardest roles that a leader ever has to do. You start going, oh, I don't think I like this anymore. You do your first performance management. Do Even things like you go into your first job interview where you're the interviewer instead of the interviewee and you realize, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. Um, so, so yes, people do start questioning themselves. It's either through a vacuum of information or knowledge of what they should be doing. Or like I said, they go into this deluge of first. It might even be the first leadership team meeting where they go into and their boss is running a meeting where they're now sitting amongst their new peers, their team leaders, their other managers in the room. And they're all of a sudden they're in this room, in this environment where these questions are getting fired around that they've never heard before. So it usually is a roller coaster is the best way I could describe that, Brandon. I'm sure of the years you've probably mentored, whether you know it or not, people who have become leaders themselves. And I'm curious, like if, if you said there's a roller coaster of emotions after, let's say, two, three, four weeks, and they're like, I don't know if this is for me or not, and they're ready to give up, like, what do you say to that person who's like ready to give up? Like, do you guide them to say, like, look, you need to just develop these skills. You just need to go through the experiences. Like where does somebody go when they have that frame of mind? Yeah, great question, Brandon. I've done that both formally and informally throughout my career. And 
there's two things that I do and they, they both have their role. So one would be coaching and one would be mentoring. In the coaching area, it's actually about asking, holding space and asking the right clever questions to allow that person to discover themselves. So asking them about, so what do you think makes a great leader? Can you think of examples of leaders that you've had before that were amazing and inspiring? Can you think of examples that you've had in your past where you've had horrible bosses that left you demotivated and devalued and get them to start exploring, get them to start reflecting. And then if they go through that journey of self-discovery about what leadership is all about, that's usually very powerful. Where the mentoring comes in is about giving them some kind of hope and understanding about what the art of the positive and possible could be. So telling them what you're going through right now is normal. Most new leaders go through this journey but let me tell you it's worth it and paint them that picture, that vision of what they could become as a leader. But the more transformative part is that self-reflection. Get them to really look inside themselves and think about leaders that they've had in the past to get them to discover what really works. If you sit there and just teach them, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, they'll remember it for a period of time and while it uh, suits them. But if they discover the leader within themselves through smart and clever questioning and coaching, they usually have a much more transformative effect and accelerate through that roller coaster phase much faster. Mick, this is going to be a totally loaded question, but I'm really curious where you're going to take it. Why is leadership so hard? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, what a wonderful question. It's because human, human beings are complex, right? So have a think about the example that we said before where let's take, a, let's take an accountant. So an accountant deals with repeatable rules. They've got their spreadsheets, they've got their formulas, and if you're punching a formula into Excel and you do it the same every time, you get the same result every time. Human beings are far more complex than that. First of all, we're emotional creatures, not rational creatures. Secondly, what you're going to discover is what works for one of your team members where you're trying to inspire and motivate them will not be the same thing that works for the person next to them because we all have different preferences and we all have different needs. Where it becomes even more tricky is what works for that one person today may not work for the very same person next week. And that's because it could be all kinds of things. It could be they've grown in that time, that's possible, or there could be something going on in their personal life, they're in a bad mood that day, whatever the case may be. So the problem or the biggest challenge with leadership is to let go that it's not a formulaic process where the same things will work every day for the same person or for different people in your team. So you need to be able to tap into emotional intelligence to make this work. It's all about how you relate to human beings that are actually not rational beings, they're emotional beings. So being able to have the self-awareness of your own emotions, self-management of your own emotions, self-motivation, if you can get it even further and make your emotions work for you, and then having the empathy to work with your team. So 
the cognitive empathy to be able to see the world through their eyes, the emotional empathy to be able to recognize, notice and name the emotions that they might be going through, and then uh, potentially empathic concern if they are going through some kind of particularly uh, tricky journey. So human beings are erratic, they're complex, they're emotional, and it's all about how you manage your emotions and their emotions to, uh, to good effect. That's why it's so complex. I think for many people who maybe have a desire to become a leader, they believe that leadership's just something that you're born with. Like you just have this gut or intuition around being a good leader. Do you believe that? Or is it something that it really can be developed? Like I don't have the leadership skills now, but I, I can develop it and I can become a great leader, not just a good leader, but a great leader. Yeah, so good question. All of the skills of leadership can be trained and learned. There is an element where some people may pick them up quicker due to natural preferences and natural personality, etc. But every single leadership trait can be taught and can be learned and can be discovered. Like talk about what I said before about self-discovery. It's absolutely something that can be taught. What can't be taught is whether you want it or not. So coming back to what I said before about having the right motivations, that needs to come from within and you might not have that today, but it might develop over time for you to have those right motivations. But then the skills, everything from emotional intelligence through to having clarity of purpose, having amazing communication skills, which starts with things like active and deep listening, the ability to express yourself with clarity the ability to understand things like the psychology of the culture of your team, all of these things can be trained. What kind of responses do you get when you ask people why they became a leader? I imagine the responses will vary, but I'm curious if most people have the right reasons. Yeah, that's also true. I'd say the majority of people have altruistic reasons Uh, or they'll express those altruistic reasons that they want to make a difference and all of these kind of things. But their own emotions and their own limiting beliefs can actually get in the way of that. So they need to do quite a bit of processing. If I reverse that, I'm going to say that no one, maybe there are some out there, but I'm going to say no one, no one turns up to work every day going, you know what, I'm going to be a horrible boss today. I'm going to go out of my way to make my team feel like horrible and and demotivated and uninspired and all these things. I'm going to treat them like garbage and treat them like they they don't matter to me at all. No one turns up to work like that. But they they don't have the self-awareness to understand that the their actions is creating the environment where people do feel devalued, demotivated, uninspired. And what can be worse still the more extreme horrible bosses, the ones that I've got a vivid picture in my head of one of my bosses in the past, it almost feels like the more horrible they are, the better they think they are. The distance from self-awareness is is a chasm. So you have these um, bosses that have got almost bullying-like behaviors and and the like, and if you pull them aside and ask them, you know, how would you rate yourself as a leader? Oh, I'm 11 out of 10. No self-awareness. So self-awareness is a really big key to help someone get from horrible boss 
to inspirational leader. I love you had a section in the book about a leader's personal why and Ikigai was mentioned in there. It's ironic because I, I just started reading that book a week ago. Can you share your thoughts with listeners, maybe even define what Ikigai means and just how it fits into this whole idea of leadership? Yeah, really good. So first of all, to start with why it's important. Every single person on this planet wants to have a purpose and meaning in what they do, right? So have a think about all of your human needs. Everyone wants to feel that the job that they turn up to has some kind of purpose and meaning, okay? So that's the the root. Why it's so important to the leader is they want to believe in someone and something that has some kind of meaning and cause to it. So as a leader, if you're able to do that internal work with yourself to understand your own purpose and your own meaning. And Ikigai is a great example of how to do that. So Ikigai is the intersection of what you love doing, what you truly love doing, what brings joy and fulfillment to your heart, what you're good at. And this is where you can put humility to the side for a moment and be honest with yourself about what you're really good at, what the world needs. There needs to be at least one other human being in the world that needs that thing that you're good at and that you love at. And the final one, and I changed this on purpose, by the way, Brandon, is what can you be rewarded for? When you read the Ikigai literature, it usually says what you can get paid for. And of course, it's important to be able to put a roof over your head and food on the table. But I make it broader than that because reward is not just monetary. It's also what are the other rewards that you're going to get from that. Now, when you're able to work that out and work out what your purpose and meaning is, how you serve other human beings and you know, ask yourself challenging questions like, what would happen if I stopped doing that? That can be a great revealer of purpose. What would happen if I did more of that thing? another great revealer of purpose. So if you're able to identify your purpose, you can then turn around and articulate it with clarity to people, right? And at the same time, what I also encourage is that you look inside and you think about your own values and beliefs. And if you're able to stand up on a stage, I don't care if it's physical, virtual, digital, if you're able to express with deep clarity your purpose and meaning, and your values and beliefs, you will start to attract and retain people around you that believe in the things that you believe. And when they believe in the mission and they believe in the purpose that you stand for and you stay true to your values and beliefs, they will then be inspired to work with you and they'll work not just for a paycheck but because they believe in the mission that the team is working on. So the criticality of a leader understanding their purpose, their meaning, their values and beliefs is being able to articulate it to a group of people so that you can attract and retain people around you that believe in the things that you believe. A diverse group of people. I'm not talking about surrounding yourself with people that just look and smell and taste like you. I'm talking about people that believe in the mission. Yeah, Yeah, that's well said. So on that note of just inspiring a team around you. How does a great leader show up for its team on a regular basis? How do they care for the team? How do they interact with the team? I want to know what the behaviors of a great leader is with the team. Oh, yeah, that's another great question. So it does start with that purpose and that meaning and that values and beliefs and that clarity. But then around there, you start looking around you. Start looking around at the team and see what are their individual superpowers. Every single person on this planet has got their superpowers and they've got their weaknesses, including the leader, by the way. 
So then you start looking around you and go, okay, how do these different skill sets, how do they complement? So you're doing a lot of paying attention and you're doing a lot of listening. So you start creating that environment. You create an environment based on psychological safety where everyone believes in the vision and mission and then you give that environment to the team for them to flourish. You give them a voice. You ensure that that voice is heard. You ensure that you listen to their opinions and give it due consideration and you treat them like they matter. You take the time to get to know them individually. Ask them, what are their preferences? How do you like to be rewarded? How do you like to receive feedback? How do you like to be directed in the case where there are some examples where you do need to direct a team and go, okay, team, we're going to do this this week. Ask them what their preference is. Do they like a lot of detail or do they just like broad brushstrokes and then they want to take the full accountability and empowerment for how they will get there. So have that conversation. Get to know your team intimately. You need to be the boss and the person in charge of the vision, the, the mission and the North Star that everyone's heading towards. And then after that, you're creating the environment where your superstars can then contribute to that vision and mission. Just today, I was talking with another leader about vulnerability. I'm personally a big fan of being vulnerable. I'm like, I love Brene Brown's work on, on this area. And what I was talking with the other leader about was there's a spectrum of vulnerability, right? I think there's probably a certain point where you're so vulnerable where to other people, maybe you just look unstable as a leader. But now that I got you here, I'm curious what your perspective is on, you know, sharing mistakes, sharing personal stuff and, and how that might look to a team that looks up to a leader like this. So uh, on the spectrum of vulnerability, like how much should we share as leaders? Yeah, great one, Brendan. So I said before that every person has superpowers and they have weaknesses, including the leader. And it builds a lot of trust in your team if you're able to share what those weaknesses are. By the way, here's a hint. They already know. They already know. If they're paying attention and they see you in action every day, they'll admire the things that you're good at and they'll have this kind of inner knowledge of, mm, yeah, the boss is not so good at this though. So if you're able to open up and say, hey team, you know what, I'm really good at this stuff, but I'm not good at the details or I'm not good at you know, writing sales copy, wh whatever it is, they already know. They already know. So if you tell them, it builds trust because they go, oh, oh, the boss has got self-awareness and they're sharing openly and transparently with us. Now, where, where is the line? Because you asked an interesting question about, well, when does it become to the point where vulnerability becomes an issue? It's, I'm going to say it's about posture and it's about confidence and being confident and self-assured and self-aware in your skin. So if you're not ashamed about that weakness, you just stand up in front of the team and go, you know what, team, I'm really good at giving presentations. I'm exceptional about at rallying a crowd around uh, a message. I'm really good at customer relationships, but I am terrible at finances, invoicing, whatever it is, and being confident and, and not being shy about that and having gravitas and a posture when you say it, where you're saying, and that's okay, team. It's okay that I'm not good at everything because you know what? I've got you. And that's why I recruited all you and attracted this team because look at the collective superpowers in this room. And we collectively can do so much more together by combining our superpowers and accommodating for each other's weaknesses. And if you project that with confidence, the vulnerability becomes appreciated, 
it builds trust, but it doesn't erode confidence. Many organizations are doing a ton of work on diversity, equity, inclusion. How do you recommend new leaders gain knowledge in these areas? Because I'm finding it there's so much to learn. And of course, you want to do it the right way and do it thoughtfully and it impacts the culture. So what do you recommend in this area? Yeah, there, there's a lot of good resources. I'm going to point towards Martine Kalor. She's quite impressive here. She really breaks down, she's got a book called The ABCs of Diversity, but she really breaks down what diversity really is, what equity really is, and the difference between equity and equality and why that is the case, and what it truly means uh, around having an inclusive environment. So I would look towards her work. It's it's really good. The next thing I would say is you need to look at, it's uh, DEI is not just the right thing to do. It's also a business imperative. If you want to attract and retain an incredibly talented and diverse workforce around you, you need to pay attention to DE&I and be out there and doing it in the right way for the right reasons at the right time. And in that, you're going to then enrich your team. So I guess you didn't ask me to sell the values of diversity, but the key here is to create a team that is much greater than the sum of its parts. And the way to do that is to encourage diversity of thought. So the whole element of DE&I is you're looking to drive towards that diversity of thought area where everyone feels included, everyone feels empowered, that they can show up as their authentic self, and then they'll knock it out of the park every day. So yes, you do need to study it. A really key one that I think gets lost for people is allyship. And this one falls apart in a few different ways. There's a lot of people out there that want to be allies for DE&I, but they don't know how. They don't know how to start. So they become passive allies that sit there and do very little. Then there's the other end of the scale. There's active allies that haven't taken the time to understand how they can best be an ally. So you, you get people that they call it the saviour complex, but you get people out there that are standing up on stages and representing a group that they've never taken the time to ask them, hey, how can I best serve you? So yes, educate yourself on DE&I. It's not just the right thing to do. It's a business imperative. And second, if you want to be an ally, make sure you take the time to ask insightful questions and clever questions to the group that you're trying to support. Time is finite, as we know, uh, and as a great leader, um, I'm sure time, time goes by in an instant. Their schedules are packed with a thousand meetings and a lot to do, fires to fight. But how does a great leader actually spend their time? Really ones that are effective, how do they structure a day if there's like a day in the life of a leader? Oh, wow. What, what a great question. So I'll talk about my practice, but I've seen other people do the same. I'm going to tell you look into time blocking. Multitasking does not work. Team at University of Michigan have proven it beyond doubt now. Multitasking does not work. So have a look, have a bit of self-awareness as to what time period you work best in. For me, it's 90 minutes. My optimal period of creativity and work is a 90-minute block. So if you could see my whiteboard right now, it's full of blocks of times of things where I dedicate and I focus on that one activity for that period of time. I'm prolific on social media and people probably think that I'm on LinkedIn 24 hours a day. I'm on LinkedIn exactly 90 minutes per day and I do, do it all in this big creative block, bang, right? 
when I'm with my team members and I'm having either a one-on-one meeting or a group meeting because I'm practicing this time blocking and I know that everything else, it's got its time and place and it's got its scheduled time and I'll get to it, I can then give them my full attention. I can be completely present and make them feel valued and that they matter because I'm hanging off their every word, looking into their eyes, even though it's in a virtual world, it's through a camera, I'm looking into their eyes and I'm not getting distracted by my phone. I'm not doing anything like this. So time blocking, time blocking, time blocking. It really works. Mick, if you were starting your leadership journey all over again, like you're presented an opportunity to become a leader, you have the desire to do so, what would you do first? Would you go develop skills? Would you find a mentor? What, I'm curious what the first steps would be because I really want to wrap up this conversation with action items for people who have the desire to become a leader and what those first steps might be. Yeah, knowing what I know now is different to what I knew back then. So what I did back then was look for mentors and, and I did end up, I'm going to say I made my mistakes early in my career just like most leaders, Brandon, and I ended up mimicking the behaviors of some bosses that I now look at and go, you know what, <laughs> that wasn't great leadership. So if, so if you're going to get a mentor, be very selective and be careful of behaviors that you mimic. What I'd do now, knowing what I know now, is I'd get a coach. I'd get a coach. A coach is different to a mentor and they really help you on that journey of self-discovery. And I would go out there and look for a transformative uh, program where I can do a lot of reading, but a lot of self-discovery about what I believe in, what I believe in, in terms of what a leader really uh, means. You know what I find interesting just about leadership nowadays and, and just all the options available for skill development and learning. There's a lot of noise out there. Like you mentioned LinkedIn, we've got a podcast like this. We've got a million books on leadership and it's it's hard to cut through the noise versus I'm sure when you became a leader, there was options, but there wasn't podcasts and a million videos and all these things. So I think there is an interesting dynamic we have, like you had limited options and you looked up to people that you saw as decent leaders at the time. And, and now there's so much knowledge that is available within a couple of clicks and, but you got to cut through the noise. So I like your advice of getting a, a coach or a mentor. I think that helps like clear the fog a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And and I'm going to get controversial here for a second, Brandon, if you, if you don't mind, I'm going to say that our traditional approach to leadership development is broken. So what happens now is that people are usually sent on some relatively good leadership development programs. I'm not going to rubbish them all. Some of them are quite good, but they get sent on those too late in their career when habits have already started to form. Then those programs are teaching outdated thinking. They haven't caught up with a modern world and and particularly the needs around things like millennials and this drive for purpose and meaning, etc. It hasn't caught up with modern thinking on leadership and they use outdated educational techniques or teaching techniques. So the typical approach is someone gets sent on a five-day leadership retreat and they'll go away, they'll have a great time, they'll be bombarded with information, they'll be drinking from a fire hose for five days straight. They have a, a great shared experience with their other team members. So that, that's a very positive thing. They might even drink wine at night and all this kind of stuff. But what happens is on the following Monday when they go back to work is exactly nothing happens. They don't know how to put it into practice. So what 
we are doing at the Leadership Project is we're flipping that on its head and we're embracing concepts of collaborative or social learning to get people talking, to get people reflecting. We practice micro-learning and we practice gamification. So for those out there that are looking to develop your leadership skills, you can call it habit building if you like and look at things like James Clear and the atomic habit, etc. It's the same principle. Work on one thing at a time. Work on one thing at a time. Go and do a module on a, a topic and then immediately put it into practice and see what happens with your team. Before you learn anything else, put that base practice into practice and then do the next module and then go and put it into practice and you're always learning. But it's not the learning that's important. It's the applied learning. The fact that you're actually going and doing the experiments, you're practicing what you've just been taught, one habit at a time or one topic at a time, if you like. Mick, this has been such a fun discussion. Thanks for providing so much value to the audience. Your book is You're a Leader, Now What? The Proven Path to High-Performance Leadership. Mick, where can people learn more about you if they want to go really deep? Uh, Where can they find your book? Anything that that you want to share or or a parting thought too? Feel free. Yeah, sure. So uh, the book is available on uh, Amazon as both paperback and and, uh, ebook and very soon it'll be available as an audio book and in the audio book I'm going to put a few Easter eggs in there, a few little uh, bonuses. How to get in contact with me and my team is mixbeers.com. And from there, you can get access to everything that we do, all of our thought leadership pieces, our blogs, our, our own podcast, the Leadership Project podcast. You can get access to our uh, Leadership Academy, which uses those transformative programs that I was talking about before. You can get access to our executive coaching and uh, leadership coaching uh, services. And we also do high-performance team workshops so where a team is looking to take themselves to the next level. So, so mixbeers.com. And my parting thought, is leadership is an amazing journey. It's full of joy and fulfillment, particularly when you're able to make that mindset shift where you're there to create an environment where others can do their best work. And then you sit back and you watch them do that work and that's where the joy and fulfillment comes because you helped another human being to become the best version of themselves. My guest today has been Mick Spears. Mick, thanks for being part of the podcast. Appreciate you. Brilliant. Thank you, Brandon. And uh, thank you for the opportunity and best of luck to you and uh, and congratulations on your success too, Brandon, by the way. And, uh, and thank you to your audience for your time today.